Good morning and welcome church family. So glad to have you those who are here today in person and online. Have a couple of announcements for you. First is that next Friday, we're starting our new young and the rest of us Bible study. You are welcome to come. People of all ages who are interested in studying our Bible study called New Wine. It's happening in the fireside room right over here at seven o'clock. And you can find more about that online and in the weekly email. Next is that today we have the Wilderness Escape, the Moses Experience, the Pathfinder event happening. You can come anytime between the hours of two and four. It's about an hour walk through, so make sure to get there by four because it ends at five. Next, tomorrow we have Zumba class led by our very own Selena. You won't want to miss that, it's very fun. And we have the church camp out. If you're interested in the church camp out, please contact Pastor Brian or Pastor Kevin and Brian Carley. And I will invite you to get up and pass the peace and greet one another.
your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be in this place and that we can worship you. I want to pray over our speaker today and that we would have a blessed Sabbath. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to take this time to also introduce our speaker to you. He is a dear friend to me. He is coming from Northern California. He is the youth director for the conference there and also a hospital chaplain. And in the summer, he takes a break from that and he runs a big day summer camp. And I was able to be a part of that for three or four years and it was wonderful and really shaped me. And most of all, he is a wonderful mentor to me. So I'm really glad to have him here today. His name is Eddie and you will see him later today. Good morning, church. The offering for this Sabbath is for the local church budget. I personally believe that when we give from the heart, we open ourselves to receive blessings without measure. The act of generosity enriches our soul and brings joy. Will the deacons please stand? Let's, pl let's pray. Dear God, we come before you with our hearts full of gratitude for the blessings you have bestowed upon us. As we offer our gifts, may they be used to further your work in this church and its ministries. Thank you for your abundant love and grace. Amen.
Testing. Okay. Okay, we're going to start with a Bible verse this morning. And it is from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2.13. So God's speaking to the people through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. So, a question, what is a cistern? Antuk, yes. Kind of mud filled vase or something? A what? A vase. A vase, yes. It's, it's something that, that it... According to this, it holds water. Usually I think of it as a giant reservoir underground where you store water. Um, there's a, it's mentioned many times in the Bible because that was very important back in Bible times. Proverbs 5.15 says, Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well, which is God's way of saying, Mind your own business. You know, if you're going to drink out of a cistern, you drink out of your own cistern. So cisterns were very important back in Bible times in the uh, Israel because it was so dry. So the few times that it rained, it was very important to capture all the rain and, and in, by um, putting uh, gullies and digging ditches and directing that water into cisterns. And that's where they stole this, uh, stored their water to drink. The temple in Jerusalem had 37 cisterns. The biggest one was 3 million gallons. I think I have a picture here of a big cistern. Let's see. Ah. Doug, 
What am I doing wrong? Okay, so you see the guy standing there, so you get an idea of how big that is. So that was, that's in Turkey, I think, and that's to hold water. So they have to plaster the walls and everything to make sure that the water doesn't escape. And so one of the, they had lots of these, including really big ones, all around the Middle East. They also had small ones. This looks like a well. Uh, sorry. Uh, that were in the homes. So individual homes would have a cistern where they would store their water. Uh, cisterns appear, like I say, many times in the Bible. Jeremiah himself upset the king, and the king lowered him into a cistern where it was out of water and just had mud. So he was standing in the mud for quite, a, I think, several days, and then the king changed his mind, and they sent a rope down, and they pulled him out. Remember Joseph? Joseph of the coat of many colors, and his brothers were going to kill him, and they said, no, let's just throw him in the cistern. So it was good for storing water and apparently for throwing people into. Um, so cisterns were important because uh, in the Middle East because they didn't have much water. So they uh, took the water that they did have and they put it in the cistern so they could store it and use it later. But here in Seattle, we don't have that problem because we have lots of water and lots of rain. We have too much water and too much rain. Remember about a year ago, the basement, right before the service, the basement flooded. We had lots of water in the basement. My basement flooded, and that's because it just poured rain for about only 20 or 30 minutes, and it overwhelmed all the drains in town. Every, everything that drained water backed up, and so when the water couldn't go into the drains, it went into the basements. So we, there's a big push in Seattle to have people install cisterns. And um, our head elder, uh, or our head deacon, Kayoni Smith, he has one of those systems that he installs. So all the water that rains on his roof, it goes down to the gutters and gets down to a cistern. So that that way, if a lot of people had those systems, we wouldn't overwhelm the drains. So that's one way of handling Seattle, where we have lots of rain, and so it just slows down that draining process. Now, you may be wondering, okay, so now we know what cisterns are, and we've talked about cisterns. What's the Mexico angle to this? Because Mr. Fairchild, when he came back from Mexico, he's, that was going to be the theme of our stories in, in uh, February, right? With some kind of Mexico angle. Well, the angle is... In our house in Mexico, we have a cistern, and it's broken, and it doesn't hold water, just like in Jeremiah's uh, talking about. So let me see. So that's the door to the cistern. You, you open that. And that's not hail damage. It's just old and needs to be replaced. You see right behind it, that's the, the, the well that I talked about last week. That was, we talked about that well. And right next to it is the pump. So we have a tank on the top of the roof, but the water from the city doesn't get up to there. So it goes into the cistern, 
And then every once in a while, when the tank on top of the house gets empty, we turn on that pump that's to the right, and it pumps the water from the cistern up to the tank. So if you look down, if you open that door and you look down, you can kind of see the cistern. It's, it's big. It's about six feet deep and six foot um, on all sides. And we took a lot of effort to really make it watertight and plastered it and made the walls really dry. And we filled it up with water. And when we got up in the morning, it was empty. All the water drained out. So we replaced it with a uh, rubber uh, tank there, you see. Um, of course, they didn't have that option in Bible times to buy a rubber tank. So anyway, we gave up on, on that and we put that in there. Um, let's see. So that's our water tank on top of the house. So that's where we pump the water up from the cistern up to that. And, um, but we had a big hailstorm. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. And the top of that got destroyed by the hail. So it was open for months. And the whole tank got contaminated. And uh, so I had to clean it out. And that's my niece took this story. That's me in the tank cleaning out the, the tank. And I'm showing that because if you hear, oh, the Fairchilds are vacationing in Mexico, you probably don't get the proper visual image of what my life is actually like that for the month. But, you know, that's home ownership, kids, and that's something you have to look forward to. Okay, that's our, that's our story for today. So we have the blue buckets. So take those. Thank you. morning we worship together here in your presence 
your presence which extends to everyone, to us here, to those at home, everywhere in the world. We especially pray that you bless Alma, Anne, Barry, the Chalawadas, Dorothy, Louisa, and Antege, that they can feel your love for them today. Guide our thoughts to learn more about you today. Amen. from Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3. Long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love I have drawn you to myself.
The New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. May the Lord bless the hearing of the word. Good morning. You might find it ironic that I had to come to Seattle to get out of the rain. But it was true. When, I, when my plane pulled up this morning, I looked down and I thought, ah, it's not raining. This is great. Because I've lived in Sacramento and we've had a lot of rain, um, more than usual. It is indeed a pleasure to be here this morning. And I am reminded, Ray, Pastor Raven, this morning that I get the last word today about her. So she should be careful in her introduction about me. Um, and then she reminded me that she lives here, so, you know, we'll figure it out. It is good to be here to worship with you this morning. The last time I, was, I preached up here was at Sunset Lake about 25 years ago um, when my brother, my brother Pastor Craig was the director of Sunset Lake years ago. I don't know if any of you remember him. I barely remember him, so it wouldn't hurt my feelings if he didn't. No, just kidding. So, <clears throat> let's see. Let's see if technology works this morning. I want to tell you this morning what I'm going to preach about, because I don't want you to miss it. There is nothing you can do that will ever make it so God doesn't love you. Nothing. And I, and I will hopefully illustrate that through scripture and through personal stories this morning, just so you know. I want, and like I said, if, if, if something happened and we, the service is over right now, I want you to take with you the understanding that there's nothing you can do that will ever make God not love you. So we track things, right? I'll bet this morning, I'll, I would bet most of you in this room have a cell phone. And if you have a cell phone, you're being tracked. Let's just be real. Let's be honest about it. Um, Apple made over $1 billion profit last year selling AirTags. Each year, billions of dollars are spent by people attempting not to lose personal or business items. Things we lose, things we track. We lose wallets, we lose keys, we lose purses, we lose pets, we lose cell phones, we lose tablets, we lose lots of different things. Place an order with any company, and guess what? I'll bet you're looking for the tracking number almost as quickly as you hit the button, buy. Especially if you use Amazon. We are obsessed with knowing where things are. I was driving home from a fishing trip up in Oregon one afternoon a couple of years ago, and as I pulled into town on Highway 99, my phone rang. And it was my wife, and I thought, how lovely. She missed me. She goes, no. 
Um, she said, um, I want you to stop at Taco Bell and pick up supper for the kids. And I was like, excuse me? How do you know where I am? And I go, oh yeah, she turned on family sharing. But don't judge, don't judge, because I'm pretty sure that some of you have done the same thing to your loved ones, especially if you have children, you probably have tracked them. You want to know where they're at, what they're doing. Don't lie, it's, it's okay. You don't, I'm not asking you to raise, raise, raise your hands, but we are obsessed with knowing where things are. Um, it was another funny story. My wife, um, I opened my Christmas presents this year, and I, had, I looked at all my presents, and my wife gave me a new wallet, and I thought, how sweet. And then I flipped it over on the back. Guess what? There was an AirTag place. I made her take it back. Because she is always accusing me of losing my wallet. And she wanted me to not lose it anymore. And, and I, I kept arguing with her, no, dear, I don't lose my wallet. I am not losing my wallet. This morning, I want to share with you Luke 15. And there's this losing things that we're talking about is not a new concept. In fact, Luke 15 is all about losing things and finding things. Luke provides us some, some context to these three stories in, in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. And it said, Jesus says, And then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke a parable to them, saying, You know, Jesus always had a reason for everything he did. And one day as he was traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, he overheard some church leaders being critical of his followers. Apparently, Jesus had the audacity to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. And so he decided to tell this story. So there is a story here about a man. Well, I want, I'll get back to, oops, we went the wrong way here. Sorry. So there was this story about this man who had 100 sheep. Now, I don't like sheep, so we could lose all 100 of them, if, and I wouldn't care so much. But apparently, this man was very attached to these sheep because it was his livelihood. And there were 100 sheep, and one day he went out to the field, and he took them out there. And you, you've probably heard the story, and he took them out there. And on the way back, he realized when he got home that he was missing one. So instead of going, well, I've got 99 more, that's a lot, right? Instead of saying that, he said, look, I need to go find that sheep. And so he went out, and he looked, and he looked, and he looked until he found that sheep. And then he brought it back. And when he brought it back, he didn't just quietly put him in the pen and say, well, that's stupid. Why'd you get lost? He threw a party. He gathered his friends around, and they had a party because that sheep was important to him. And you'll see in a minute why, that we, why we care so much about that sheep. Tiffany Oberbeck, Otterbeck was 35 years old. She's a new mom. She, had, she and her husband were married for five years, and... Um, she had just gotten off maternity leave, and after maternity leave, she had, they had been working so hard, she decided she would come home and she'd make her husband a fantastic meal. So she did what people who work in the kitchens do. She got out her knives and everything. She started working, and oh, she got stuff on her hands, and so she took her wedding band off and laid it on the counter. Well, she was one of those people that was clean, and so she, when she, she kept putting, she kept putting stuff over in this area where she laid her wedding band, and pretty soon, guess what? She'd covered it up. At the end of the meal, she took all of that trash and put it in the trash can. They had a fabulous supper. 
They went to bed. Everybody was happy. The next morning, her husband got up and went to work. And on his way out to work, he put the trash can out by the, by the road, went to work. She went to work. And when she was sitting in her office, she reached over her for her cup of coffee and realized her wedding band was missing. You can imagine the panic that would ensue. Her first call was to her mother who was watching the children at home, and she said, Mom, has the trash gone out yet? Yes, dear, the trash truck just came by not too long ago. The second call was to her husband to tell him what she had done. He hung up on her. She thought that he was mad. Instead, he was trying desperately to get a hold of the sanitation department to tell them to, to find out where that truck was so maybe, just maybe, he could stop that truck and he could dig through the trash and find that wedding ring that was so important to them. They got a hold of a supervisor. The supervisor located through GPS. Remember, we're talking about tracking. Located the truck through GPS, stopped the truck, had the truck go to, a, to an abandoned parking lot near the sanitation department and park there for the day. And at the end of the day, five sanitation workers, Tiffany, her husband, and a couple other people went and dug through an entire trash truck, garbage truck full of trash until they found the three bags that were from their house. And then they looked through and finally found ring. Would you go to that trouble? I think I would. But here's the thing. We're talking about lost items here, and we're talking about it in the, par in, in the context of the parable in Luke 15. And the next story kind of resonates with that. It's the story of the, the woman who had lost, who had 10 coins now, these coins were, you know, there's different scholars tell you different story things about what they're worth. Some say that they were part of her wedding jewelry. Some say this was a, a month's wages. You know, there's different stories. But what, no matter what way you look at it, these coins were important to this woman. And she lost one. And if you've ever lost something important, like that little tiny screw that came with that thing from Ikea, yeah, yeah. You know, you get down on the floor with that flashlight with your, on your phone and you look around and sometimes you have to get a magnifying glass out and you look around. Well, in her home, there weren't very many windows and it was a dark place. And so she went and she got a lamp and she lit it and she, she looked and she swept until she found it. And it was such a big deal to her that once again, she called her friends over and they had a party. Understand, this is in the context of Jesus having dinner with sinners, with the lost. The point of this whole thing here, and we're going to get to the third parable here in just a second, but the whole point is that this is talking about the rejoicing when people come to Jesus, when they finally understand that he loves them and that he, they want, that he wants a personal relationship with him. When I was 12 years old, I wanted a Bantam 200 Shimano bait casting fishing reel. In fact, that was my passion in life. And fishing is one of the things, if, if I'm not working, I'm probably fishing. And I, I remember for months before Christmas, and this was back in the age before internet, I'm old enough to I, you know, see these gray hairs, I got them for a reason, I'm a little older. Um, it was back in the days before internet, it was back in the days before you know, well, it was back, for those of you who remember long enough ago, they actually delivered the newspaper to your house, okay? 
Yeah, some of you know what that's like. My dad would stop at the, at the end of the, our, our driveway every day on the way home, and he would reach in and get the record searchlight out, and he would, he would put it carefully on the seat, and he would come up to the house, and he would sit in his chair for 20 minutes, and he would read the newspaper every night, and we couldn't bug him. But I figured out how to get the, the, the catalog out. Remember the Cabela's catalog, you know, that was this thick? It was like 800 pages, and you could find every bit of fishing and hunting equipment in the world in it. And then you could call the 800 number on the back, and you, it was a really big deal. So I would figure out how to get that pictures of that Shimano Bantam 200 fishing reel, and I would put it all over the house so he would see it. It didn't work very well because on Christmas Eve when we opened our presents, guess what I didn't get? Well, I did, but they didn't put it in with the rest of the presents. And there were tears coming down this face because I had wanted that so badly. And a little bit later, my dad gave it to me. And I remember the next morning, we went fishing, and we put the boat in on the river that we were getting in, and we floated down to the first hole. And I remember making that first cast, and it was glorious because this level wind reel didn't, it had anti-spin on it, so it wouldn't rat's nest all over and create problems. And I remember making that first cast, and I remember just, oh, man, it was beautiful. Until the rod jerked out of my hand and went into the water. that Shimano 200 Bantam fishing reel was gone, along with the brand new rod that my dad had made for me to go with the, rod, or the reel. And I remember we, I looked at my dad. And my dad was funny like this. Some days, sometimes he, if you did the slightest thing, he'd just bite your head off. And other times you could, you could commit mass murder and he didn't care. And I was trying to gauge how big a deal this was going to be. And he looked at me and he said, well... I guess you're going to have to use your old rod. Okay, Dad. And I remember we fished for it for a long time. We didn't catch it. Finally, my dad goes, look, we got to go. It's time to go down the river. Our, our car is 10 miles downstream. We got to go. And so I remember I got my old fiberglass rod out with the Zebco Cardinal 3 on it. You know, the one we had to pull the bale over and flip it over. And I was like, oh, man. So I put bait on it. I threw it over there. We started to move down the river, and as I reeled in, there was some fishing line wrapped around the hook on my line. My dad goes, you might want to grab that carefully. So I pulled it in. There was nothing. He goes, well, pull on the other end. And sure enough, on the other end was my rod and reel. It was a miracle. It truly was. But you can imagine the excitement of a 12-year-old boy when, when, when my favorite, best fishing, uh, fishing experience, my best Christmas gift ever came back into the boat. You can imagine the excitement that that, that was part of. And I'm telling you these stories this morning because I, going back to the original thing that I said when I started, that when we're done, I hope that you will, if you didn't already know this, I hope you will be more convinced that there's nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of Christ. Because these are cool stories, but Jesus is telling them in the context of being criticized for hanging out with sinners. The church leaders were criticizing Jesus because he went out and hung out with the people that weren't as good as they were. And Luke 15, the last story, the story of the prodigal drives this home for me. It's probably one of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture. And so you're asking me, why am I sharing this with you today? Because in my opinion, it is one of the clearest stories. 
the clearest pictures of salvation in all of Scripture. And I want to read it to you, I, 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 something I, I wrote, and I want to read it to you because there's some nuance to it, and then I'm going to tell you another story, and then I'm going to be done, and you're going to go home, and, and it's going to be great. But one day, a man had two sons, and he was approached by the youngest son. Dad, I was thinking. I don't know about your house, but when those kind of words are said, it always brings fear to my heart as a parent. <laughs> Dad, I was thinking. I don't want to live here anymore with you, so I want you to give me my third of all that you own so that I can go live my life. Are you sure you want to do that? It's an unusual request, but if you're sure that you want to do that, I'll figure it out and I'll figure out how to get you money. I'm sure, old man, I don't, want to try, I don't want you to try and talk me out of it. It took a little bit, but the father emptied the savings, sold a few farm animals, and gave the son his money. And as he went out the door, he said to him, don't forget you're my son. I will always love you. See you later. And off went the son. It took a while, but the son wasn't a very good money manager, and the fun was nonstop before the money ran out. Not knowing what else to do, the son tried to get a job, but it's kind of hard to do if you don't have any experience. So he took the only job he could get, feeding pigs. It's not the greatest job for a good Jewish boy, but it's a job. One day, while feeding the pigs, he realized that he was an idiot. So he left his job and started walking home. It took him a while, but when he finally got closeness to see the home place, he stopped. He looked at himself. He tried to clean himself up a bit, but, he hadn't, but it hadn't worked. He smelled bad. His clothes had holes in him. His shoes were gone. And if you can imagine this, the last mile or two was the hardest. Because he knew that what he had done was completely wrong and that his dad and his brother would probably run him off. There was nothing he could do about it. He deserved it. He couldn't even be mad at them because... He was the one that made the choices and about what he had done. His reputation, he had insulted his dad, shamed his family. And as he got within sight of the home, he continued to worry and stress, but, he, but what did he have to lose? Nothing. The only hope he had was that his father might give him a job, might feed him, might give him some newish clothes, and maybe a place to live. He thought his eyes must be deceiving him. They must be playing tricks on him because off in the distance he saw an old man begin to walk, then shuffle, and finally begin to run. It couldn't be, he thought to himself, maybe he's coming to chase me off, but why would he be out here looking for me? As the familiar figure got closer, he saw that the old man had gotten older. His hair was grayer and he looked a lot frailer than when he had left. But the sight that caused his eyes to bug out was the smile and the open arms. The old man, his father, had thrown his arms out wide, and the smile on his face was ginormous. He couldn't hear what his father was yelling, but the tone of his voice alerted him to the fact that he wasn't mad. Sinking to the ground, the lad, not the son anymore, buried his face in his hands in the dirt, trying to become invisible. How could this man who used to be his dad be happy to see him? Out of breath and exertion, the old man, always the father, stooped to grab his son by the shoulders. He hauled him off the ground and into the warm embrace that a father reserves only for a son. There on that road, the father restored to this lad his position as his son. If you're a parent, you understand what is happening here. 
The father didn't care what his son looked like or smelled like. His son had come home, which is the most important thing. Clothes can be bought, bodies can be washed, but life that is lost cannot be replaced. Miracle of miracles, the son was home. But then there's that ugly part of the story. We usually gloss over it. The older brother didn't want his brother back. He was jealous because secretly he'd wanted to live a little bit too, but he hadn't had the guts to approach the father. In a moment of newfound courage, he approached his dad and shared with him what he thought of him and that the grace he had shown to his former brother, and he was angry. Dad, how could you accept this piece of garbage back? You disgraced, he disgraced you and me and everything we represent. Do you know what he did with the money you gave him? He spent it on all kinds of evil things. I heard stories in town. If you only knew what he had done, you wouldn't let him back on the place. Son, you know that I love you. I know that you have worked hard, and all that I have is yours. But your brother is home. Come and join the party. He isn't lost anymore. But the older son was too angry to join the party, and he was too mad to listen to reason. There are some life lessons we can learn from this story. Neither son was a good son. The older brother stayed home for the wrong reasons, and I'm not saying he didn't love his father, but he didn't stay out of pure love. He stayed because of what he was going to get. The younger son, it's true, disrespected the father, did despicable things, and didn't deserve a place in his father's home. But what neither son understood, and I'm not sure we understand together, is that the father loved his sons because they were his, just like the father loves you and me because we are his. Even though both hurt him, they were his flesh and blood. He loved them like only a father could. Nothing either one of them could have done or ever could do would have been enough for him not to love them. Both sons needed grace and forgiveness, but only one recognized the need. And I want to ask you this morning, which son or daughter are you? You know, both, all three of these stories that we've, we've talked to this morning involve searching and rejoicing. Jesus searched for us. He came down here from heaven to this earth to search for you and me so that he could engage us, could help us see how there, he has a better plan of salvation. It involves rejoicing because when one sinner comes to Jesus, when one sinner opens up his heart, when one sinner says, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and my God, guess what? All of heaven rejoices. And Luke 15 points that out very, very clearly. And the message here that the Pharisees and the church leaders were hearing made them mad. Because Jesus hung out with sinners and I want to ask you this morning, does that sound familiar? I think it does. I think our church sometimes needs to back up a little bit and understand where we all come from. In many people's minds, the church is a place of refuge from the world. Why would we want to invite the homeless, drug dealers, smokers, the LGBTQIA crowd, single moms, people with tattoos, depressed people, the long-haired people, long-haired freaky people into our churches? Why would we want to do that? If we invited them in, they might get the pews dirty. They might sing too loud. 
They might steal out of the offering plate. The air might smell funny because of what they just smoked on the way to church. And they might use non-Jesus words in the presence of our kids. Or they might do all of those things. So why would we want them in the church? Jesus told this story to illustrate the point. And I am telling these stories this morning to illustrate the point. Jesus' kingdom is full of sinners. He isn't waiting for everyone to get their lives together before they can become part of his family. Jesus accepts you and me just as we are. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus changes lives. But in order to change a life, guess what? You have to know Jesus. And you can't know Jesus if you don't have a relationship with him. How many people live isolated lives trying to avoid the same people that Jesus is trying to reach? Jeremiah 31.3, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. This is one of my favorites. You know, it's probably the most well-known scripture, but for, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The other day I was in a, in, in a hospital that I, I get to hang out in. My friend Gary was in there. Gary, add another 50, 100 pounds on, on, on my size, and that would give you a little bit of an idea of what Gary looked like. Gary, when I met him, was shaking visibly. He was struggling because to breathe. He had his air cannula in his mouth, trying to suck as much air as he could out of it. The nurses told me, I said, please go in and see Gary. He needs to have a friendly, friendly face. He needs to have a chaplain come and talk to him. I said, okay. As I walked in, there, there were Gary. He looked up to me. His eyes were, had that afraid look in his face. I said, hi, Gary. I'm Eddie. I'm one of the chaplains. How are you doing tonight? Chaplain, I don't know what to do. I'm going to die tomorrow. I said, oh, well, well really, tell me what's, what, do you, what do you mean? Tell me what's going on. He goes, look, he goes, let me show you something. And, and I've been in the hospital long enough to know that when patients reach down to grab their sheet and pull them off, you might see things you don't want to see. So I've kind of learned how to handle that. And as he pulled his sheet down, I saw these legs that were black and had big holes in them. He goes, Chaplain, he goes, they're going to go down in my leg tomorrow and they're going to take out a bunch of blood clots. And he said, the last time I had a surgery like that, they, they had me on tubes and I couldn't hardly get off the tubes. And he goes, Chaplain, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die tomorrow, and I'm scared. So we talked for a little bit. He goes, can I hold your hand? I said, sure. So I reached over, and I held his hand. We talked for about 20 minutes. And eventually, I got the courage to ask him. I said, so, tell me about where you get your, your strength from. Are you a Christian? No, chaplain, I'm not a Christian. No, 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 no. I said, well, okay. He goes, God wouldn't take me anyway. God doesn't love me enough. He goes, I've been a bad person all of my life. I said, well, Gary, I don't think you're a mass murderer. 
I don't think you raped a bunch of women and children. You know, I mean, what, what could you have done that would make it so that God couldn't accept you or love you? Well, God just won't love me. He can't. I said, well, Gary, I said, can I introduce you to my friend Jesus? Nope, chaplain, I've spent all my life fighting against Jesus. I said, okay, no problem. I said, but I think you're wrong. I said, can I tell you a story about a Friday afternoon? So I spent the next five minutes telling Gary about the Friday afternoon that Jesus was on the cross. You know the story about the two thieves that are on both sides of Jesus, the one that was cursing Jesus and the other one who was, who was studying, being quiet and listening. And finally, he tells the other thief to shut up and tells him that we deserve to be here, but Jesus doesn't. And so you should just be quiet and, and die in peace. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, look, I need to give you 28 fundamental belief Bible studies first. You need to clean yourself up and you need to get off this cross and become a normal person. Jesus said to him, I tell you this today, you will be with me in paradise. Meaning, if you accept me as your, as your Savior, I will be your Savior. And I told that story to Gary. And Gary sat quietly, and I said, look, Gary, I got nothing to push. I said, I just wanted to tell you and give you an option. And it was quiet. And I repeated myself. I said, Gary, I got nothing to push. And he goes, stop. I go, uh-oh. Um, I think I just messed up here. And he started to pray. He said, dear Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want to be your best. I want you to be my best friend. I am a sinner. And I'm going to die tomorrow. But I want to die knowing that you're my savior. That was a hard few minutes, but an exciting few minutes. And then I left. Over the next week, I got to go see Gary a couple more times. And every time I saw Gary, um, Gary reminded me of his new relationship with Jesus. So on a Thursday afternoon, I was out for a walk. And I got a phone call. And they said, hey, chaplain, you need to come to the hospital. They told me who it was. And I said, okay, I'll be right there. I walked into Gary's room. Gary had tubes coming out of every place you could imagine tubes coming out of, and he, he, was, he was pretty sick. In fact, they were so sick, they were going to take all the tubes out and let Gary pass away. As I walked into the room, Gary had his hands up here like this, and one of his daughters was holding one hand, and, and the daughter said, you need to hold my dad's hand. And I said, yeah, no problem. I'll hold your, your dad's hand. So I walked over, and I grabbed a hand. He goes, no, no, you need to hold both of his hands. So I reached over and I grabbed both of his hands and I leaned down to Gary and I said, hey Gary, I'm Chaplain Eddie. He goes, I know. Chaplain, I love Jesus and I'm going to die today, but it's okay because I love Jesus and he's my savior. That's what the gospel's all about. That is what the gospel is all about. Nothing you can do will ever separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Neither life nor death nor anything in this world or in the world beyond. Nothing can separate you from Jesus. And if you don't understand that, then, then talk to me afterwards. But we make it too complicated. 
And this morning I appeal to you, I invite you to a relationship with Jesus. A Jesus that loves you no matter what. It's full, it's all-encompassing. It's a relationship that will save not only your physical body eventually, but your spiritual one, which is way more important. his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. Amen. Holy, 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 holy,